COVID pandemic has exacerbated a number of issues that were lying right below the surface in the areas of public health, social justice, and inequality. Candidly, you can go down the list of social determinants of health and identify multiple issues that have become worse since the virus grasped the nation. Social, economic, and cultural conditions, age, gender, and biological factors, income, and social status, the list goes on. COVID-19 has elevated the need to address a host of policy issues that impact public health and our economy. Those issues have long-term impact on healthcare brands as they address the total cost of care. Today on the healthcare edition of Barclays Modern Marketeers, our guest is Wendy Doyle, President and CEO of the Women's Foundation. We'll be right back with Wendy after this break. Every brand needs a scorecard. The problem is most of them just don't tell you very much. That's because they only measure past outcomes when what you really need to know is the future. Introducing the Whole Brand Index from Barclay, a scorecard for the age of analytics that's been developed and tested through national survey research covering 125 brands. It doesn't just measure success, it predicts it, turning it into a guidance tool for growth. It's based on how consumers use and evaluate your brand and competing brands. It tells you where you win and where you lose covering everything from product value to customer service to the relevance of your message. And it correlates all that to market performance, scoring five key indicators that matter to every brand. Penetration, preference, willingness to pay more, advocacy, and brand buzz. It all comes together in a single dashboard with two simple scores, and it's scalable to any size budget. To learn more about the Whole Brand Index, visit BarclayUS.com. Or call Jason Parks, Chief Growth Officer at Barclay, 816-813-3892. That's 816-813-3892 to schedule a free webinar. The Whole Brand Index from Barclay. My guest today on the healthcare edition of Barclay's Modern Marketeers is Wendy Doyle. Wendy's the president and CEO of the Women's Foundation in Kansas City. Wendy, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. You know, Wendy, I followed the, the work of the Women's Foundation for almost 20 years. And when I saw a recent newsletter from the foundation about income inequality in the era of COVID, I realized there was likely an, an important story to share. So it's, it's great to have you on the show. And as we start the, the, the conversation, I'd, I'd love for you just to set the stage a little bit about the, the role of the Women's Foundation. Absolutely. So the Women's Foundation, we really focus on investing in research and really looking at what solutions we can bring forward, including in the policy space and in civic engagement work. Really, our focus is to advance economic and civic leadership for all women, while we also are advocating for policies, programs that empower them, support their families, and strengthen, ultimately, our communities. And we really believe, we have the philosophy that when you invest in women, everyone benefits. Well, so when I, when I saw the newsletter a few weeks ago and I, I, I saw that you were you know, focusing on, on COVID and, and obviously the personal and professional landscape for women, how, is, how has COVID and, and this entire era start, you know, started to change the landscape for, for women in both you know, personally as well as professionally? Absolutely. So definitely disproportionately impacting women. Um, we invested immediately after COVID hit in a, a research study, a data dashboard, to really help us understand what that meant um, in focusing on Missouri and Kansas. And through that study, we really discovered it is 
absolutely disproportionately impacting women from being the caregivers to the healthcare professionals to the service occupation really hitting hard um, in the, you know, impacting women. So we see this, this health crisis um, absolutely impacting them. What, uh, I'm curious, what did you learn in the research and what, what, are, the, what are the stats? So, you know, what we focused on is looking at the percentage of healthcare workers in Missouri and Kansas and benchmarking that against the national trend lines. And in Missouri, we have more women serving on the front lines in the healthcare sector than the national average. So it's about um, 75% nationally, about um, 79% um, in Missouri. And then that taking it across the state line to Kansas, the same statistics there as well. When we took looked at the healthcare workers and then started to look at some of the policies that we've been focusing on, such as pay equity, we looked at the healthcare workers and women definitely are, there is a huge pay gap between women and men for the same work. Um, and so we're really seeing that trend line continue within the healthcare sector and something that we focused on. And then that the service industry, the hotel workers, the restaurant workers, really impacting impacting women significantly. So that was something else that was really that we saw as, as a trend line. And I would just say as an example, in the state of Missouri, 25% of households are single moms. And you know, in St. Louis County, um, in St. Louis City proper, it's 48% of households are led by single moms. So COVID, you know, when that when that hit and women had, you know, children were home from school, we saw a significant impact to women. Well, and, and you touched for a moment there on the, on the healthcare segment. And so I want to dive a little bit more deeply into that because a, a lot of uh, the people who are listening to this are going to be uh, on the uh, healthcare and, and hospital system side. So obviously, Hospital systems have been disproportionately impacted uh, due to COVID and, and the financial strain, and that's partially due to the fact that elective surgeries uh, are down due to COVID, although they're bouncing back. Um, but based on what you're sharing, you know, this issue sounds like it's a little bit more endemic. Would, would it be safe to say that COVID has exasper- exacerbated uh, the situation? Yes, absolutely. In Missouri and Kansas, about one in 10 individuals lack access to health insurance, which definitely puts them at significant risk, especially during COVID-19. And so individuals that have become recently unemployed, lost their health insurance, or own their own businesses are really significantly impacted. And our COVID-19 research really demonstrated that. So in both parts of Missouri and Kansas, you know, we're still seeing about 20% of the population without health insurance. And really, you see um, such an impact in rural communities as well. Um, but, you know, we've recently in, in Missouri have had the success of passing Medicaid expansions. We are bringing forward to Missouri a solution for that, although that is will not take um, effect until July 1, 2021. So we are still living in this COVID 19 world where so many are not covered um, with health insurance. So, and I was just going to bring up the fact that we had some good news this week with the election and and expanding Medicaid, but you know, what are the, 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 the policy issues that have led to this though? They're, they're, it's far more than just health insurance. 
that's led to this. Can you can you dive into that a little bit? What's caused this long term? Yes, you know, it's interesting. The United States is the only industrialized country in the world who doesn't have a paid family medical leave policy. And we really see that um, at the Women's Foundation is really a crux to this epidemic. And one of the things that we all have been protected under the CARES Act is having that experience of having, um, you know, paid family leave opportunity. What we would like to see is for that to be realized into, you know, law um, for everyone and not just, you know, in an epidemic that we take advantage of that. We've had some movement, I will say, in Missouri and Kansas with both governors leading the way of signing executive orders to implement a paid family leave policy for the birth or adoption of a child with 100% wage replacement um, with six weeks. Um, we now have seen the federal government lead the way with 12-week policies, so we're starting to see some some movement, but it's not for everyone, and that's um, you know a a risk that we see that that is leading to all of these challenges that we're facing. How has that? Because obviously the other issue that has uh, surfaced in the last few months um, is the the area of race and social justice. Uh, how is that being uh, impacted or how, how are those policy issues and lack of policy issues impacting um, uh, e- equality in, in pay? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that we saw when COVID-19 hit is we saw obviously unemployment rates spike. And we really saw that being um, that spike, including women. And there's a statistic that as much as 38% and within one week, 38% of unemployment claims were by women. And there are some states that are actually doing some data collection, which, which we are, you know, wanting all states to be, to collect this information. But on the unemployment claims, it was asking, are you, are you filing this because you lost your job? Are you filing this because your children are home from school? Um, and or you don't have childcare. So we definitely are seeing that really impact um, race significantly and seeing that those those lower income jobs and race significantly being impacted regardless of gender. Um, and so we really, you know, a paid family policy would be a tremendous solution, a pay equity, um, you know, there's pay equity solutions out there that could also help, um, you know, close close this gap as well that we would like to see implemented. And, you know, when we talk about pay equity, an example would be um, banning salary history from an employment application, something really simple that all employers can do, um, really helps to level the playing field. And that's certainly on those hourly workers applying for those jobs, that would certainly help. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you touched on on um, a minute ago, that schools being closed and, and I was talking with a friend of mine today and who's on a, a, a local school board and they're still, and this is almost the middle of August now, they're still uncertain as to what they're going to do regarding, you know, uh, kids being back in school this fall. And it's a, it's a county here in Missouri. You know, if, if, if schools remain closed and there's still virtual uh, education, um, let's dive a little bit more into what does that mean to women and, and, and why does that, that uh, aspect of child rearing fall on the women more so than the men in the household, assuming there is a, a, a partner in the household. 
Yes. So we we've definitely heard from women that this, you know, is not only are the children home from school trying to work from home, um, trying to be a teacher to your children, but also trying to keep your job going at the same time, working remotely is, you know, really has fallen upon women. We hear time and time again. And although, you know, they're shared um, you know, household responsibilities, it's still, you know, it oftentimes falls upon the women to lead to lead the way. So, you know, now we're talking that you're not only having the stress level of your children home, wanting to continue to make sure they're getting their education. So you're you're leaning into being that teacher, making sure they're they're moving their education forward, trying to keep their job going. You see the the multiplier effect here and now we're into the mental health capacity. So mm-hmm. We've definitely seen um, mental health on the rise through COVID-19 as well, just the stress, the pressure, um, you know, and, and then we think about those single mothers that are leading the household and trying to think about, I need to get back to work, but I need to care for my children and being put in the situation, is it family or is it work, and where do you go from there? So I think what we're learning from all of this is that there's, Really, there's no right answer, lots of stress, lots of challenges to think through what's best for families. But we're definitely seeing the, um, you know, multiple roles in, in having to, to care for the children. So are there policy changes that could be uh, put in place that could help with this? We definitely really want to lean in more on this paid family leave policy and really see that as, you know, a potential solution. Um, we, we know that for um, workplaces to continue to be competitive for that retention, recruitment, that, you know, the millennial generation and the younger generation that's coming up to be leaders in organizations, they, they are looking at companies and making decisions to join to be a part of that based on, you know, family-friendly workplace policies. So I think, you know, corporate America, we can all look at what we can do to implement on our own. Um, besides, you know, turning to legislation to really have that mandate, um, but we need to we need to be talking about the solutions. And um, you know, there's not a right size for every company. Um, you know, especially a small business or you know a healthcare organization in a rural community may not be applicable. But we certainly want to keep this conversation going. That that um, family friendly workplace policies are absolutely critical. Um, that we that we look at and a and a learning from COVID nineteen moving forward. Going back to the Medicare or I'm sorry uh, to the Medicaid uh, discussion we had a few minutes ago. How do you see the long term impact of Medicaid expansion in Missouri specifically? I mean, it's now we're now what the 39th state that finally expanded Medicaid. How do you see yeah. that? How do you see that helping um, women and income equality? Uh, long-term? Yes. So we definitely see that helping um, really for the economy in Missouri. And there was a McKinsey study that came out that said that, you know, we have the potential for women in 2025 in Missouri, that if we focus and we really level the playing field, that we can grow the economy by, by as much as 15%. Um, and so the Medicaid expansion is just, you know, a great example of providing health care coverage to, you know, 
over 220,000 Missourians. Um, we think about 25% of um, Missourians are led by single um, mothers. And you, you can see that, that that is a great strategy to really help spur the economy, just for these women to have health insurance, health insurance for themselves, for their children, um, you know, will relieve a financial burden. Um, and so therefore, you know, uh, having that offered, um, you know, will, will free up some funds to be able to, you know, put out into the Missouri economy. So that's one strategy we definitely see. Um, the, the pay equity is certainly another strategy that we could um, certainly see as part of the Medicaid expansion and looking at paying our healthcare workers equally, especially, you know, amidst COVID-19. Um, but, but the Medicaid expansion, you know, is definitely a game changer um, for Missouri. Well, and, and I, I have to think also from a, um, from a paid insurance uh, perspective, when hospitals are getting reimbursed for what was previously unreimbursable care, that that has to impact rate increases across the board from a health insurance perspective, and it has to in- improve the bottom line of hospital systems so that pay equity can be something that could be realized. Absolutely, and the other thing I would just add is that I, um, you know, preventative health care maybe sought out more. Right. We took we took time in um, Missouri to go around the state and do listening sessions of women of all income levels, and certainly the low to middle income level um, targeted listening sessions. We heard from women that they would definitely, they, they forego their own health. Their priority is their children. They wanna make sure their children are cared for and that their children have insurance, but they put themselves last. Mm-hmm. And we can um, make sure that, that women now have access to preventative care. That may shore up long-term need, healthcare needs um, and taking care of themselves um, may prevent a long-term disease that could be extremely expensive, not only for the individual, but for the healthcare system. So definitely we see you know, positive outcomes of, of what the Medicaid expansion can do for Missouri. Well, and, and if someone were to uh, develop a, a chronic uh, disease, it also impacts whether or not they're able to work, you know? And that, Absolutely. And that drives, that drives uh, the economy as much as anything. Is It's not just can you work it, or will you work, it's can you work, you know? And, and that's, um, those are decisions that often are made out, outside of people's hands because of health uh, situations. So Absolutely. From, um, from everything we've talked about today, it all points towards some level of, of civic leadership in the areas of either public health, income inequality, or social justice. What do a brief overview of you know in that area of how the Women's Foundation is addressing those issues? Yes. So we even um, frame it as civic health. Mm. Um, you know what we are really focused on is looking at how we can improve overall our civic health. Um, certainly here in Missouri, Kansas, but we're taking it out across across the country as well. And this was really based on a research study looking at what are the barriers for women to become civically engaged. And that research study identified that, that women aren't familiar with how to get engaged. You know, what, what does that mean? Um, and then they hold back, kind of, they want, they want to be asked to serve. So, so a bit of a confidence challenge. But our objective really is to get, um, you know, 
specific boards and commissions at the city, county, state level through appointments by elected officials to really be reflective of the population served so that when policy decisions are being made, that best decisions are being made by having good representation and, and good, unique points of view brought to the table for that policymaking work. So we've created the appointments project and it's simply that working with elected leaders on how to improve their appointments process internally and then working to educate women about what does it mean to serve on a civic order commission and how to be a good board board member mm -hmm. um, and bring your voice to the table. Um, and so we offer that to women and help them navigate that process. Um, and what we want is, you know, as an example, looking at healthcare boards and commissions to have good representation. You know, they're making they're making good decisions. You know, case in point, during COVID-19, um, the governors um, signed executive orders to really release the occupational licensing, um, you know, certification qualifications around healthcare professionals. So looking at, you know, being able to get more healthcare professionals in the in the rural sectors of both states, and so bringing out from retirement nurses, mm -hmm. um, and so they do not have been current on their license to date, but yet they had the education and the training, um, and to bring them out to be that resource in the front line because we needed more people. So that's an example of you know having good people around the table and really improving our overall civic health. It just makes me wonder why restrictions like that were ever put in place to begin with. Absolutely. You know, and and um, that's something the Women's Foundation has been working on. We will be taking that on uh, additionally in legislative session 2021, looking at what barriers we can reduce around occupational licensing. Mm -hmm. And certainly, um, you know, physician's assistants, um, nurse practitioners, being able to relieve some of these barriers to get them out into more of those rural communities so that there is some, you know, accessibility to healthcare. So when you, when you dive into these issues regarding, you know, policy changes, whether it's at the, you know, local or state level, what kind of pushback do you typically get? So first of all, we have a bit of a barrier, um, oftentimes talking with legislators because we have women in our name, Women's Foundation. However, when we start to have the discussion really point to the, the data, the research, you know, provide the, the evidence, we have a really informed conversation. And, you know, I think where, you know, some of the pushback is that this focus is just on women, but really all of the issues that we're championing are focused on everyone. We have women in our name, but this is benefiting everyone. Um, and so I think that's, that's the biggest pushback that we have received is, I think first is seeking to understand and once the legislators are explained and see the data, the research become a little more informed, they get the bigger picture. But there's definitely some reservation at the beginning of the conversation. Well, I just, I know what I'm about to ask might be in the simplest question ever, but why is income inequality so challenging? <laughs> that is the magic question, Sam. Um, you know, it's interesting. And it is, it is more complex than we think. Um, it is again, not a one-size-fits-all. Um, you know, there's several questions around why we have this, as you just have asked, and why are we still continuing to discuss this. Um, but, you know, it is it comes from that first job that oftentimes we see that men are much 
better at negotiating than women for their their first salary. And then we know that the trend line is your first salary sets you up for your pace for the remaining of your career. So women can do a better job there. But there are so many other factors that it, that fall into that. For example, when women step out of the workforce to start a family, they take some time off, look at re-entering, there starts to widen the pay gap too. So these moments in time and history really follow women. And it's, um, it's you know, Again, it's not a one-size-fits-all on what's the magic answer. It's just collectively we need to continue to pay attention, look at solutions that can be brought to the individual situation or to the, the organization as a whole. We need to keep this in front and keep looking at what we can do to close the gap. Are there additional breakthroughs in this area coming? You know, what we really see and we encourage companies, um, you know, organizations is, is simply do an audit. Um, we have developed some pay equity best practice guidelines that, that are accessible on the Women's Foundation's website. Um, you know, and it first starts with just do a general audit to see, hey, do we even have a challenge? And secondly, um, you know, look at the, the um, evaluation, the, the, the pay um pay range and make sure that it's equitable. And then finally, you know, trend lines that we are seeing from a policy perspective, more on the, the coast is looking at paycheck transparency. So really making all salaries accessible to everyone if at any time they want to know. Um, and so, you know, I see things coming. Again, I think an easy solution that Women's Foundation is really leaning into is, you know, just Ban the box on the salary history. Just take it off employment applications. A very simple thing for us all to do. So those are some easy things that that you could do in the in the meantime. But in the future, we we definitely see some potential legislation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it it, I, it that seems like an extraordinarily simple move, you know, to to ban salary history as part of a interview uh, uh, process. Because it's like if if they don't know, and and if at the same time, we're coaching uh, women on how to negotiate, uh, and 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 at the same time, you know, you know, showing that there can be economic growth for an organization when there is pay equity, I think that would be a, a huge move in the right right direction. Absolutely, easy an easy thing for us all to implement. Um, you know, starting tomorrow. So I hope the listeners take that to good practice. Wendy, if you could change. Uh, one policy, not three. Okay, just one. Going to make you focus. What would that? What would what would that one policy be that would make life better for women uh, in the era of COVID? What would that be? I I'm going to lean into the paid family leave policy, and you know, again, it is you say for women, but we also focus groups men, and this is this is a priority for men as well, and. Um, you know, just to give some some statistics, looking at when both states implemented pay family leave policy for their workforce at the executive branch level, we saw, you know, based on after one year, that men took advantage of the pay family leave policy um, at a higher rate than women did. Wow. And so this is this is a policy that's for everyone. But again, we look at you know, the United States being the only industrialized country that doesn't have this policy, it is, again, an economic driver. It is a way to keep, um, you know, employees employed. 
um, knowing that they're going to have their job. They're not going to have to accrue and build up vacation time and sick time in order to have a child. And for to have that good bonding time when the, when after the child is born for not only the mother but the father. And it's just a, an all-around great solution, not only for the employee, but for, for, the, for the corporation, for the healthcare industry. Um, it just makes good sense. And if anything, I would love to see that on a more permanent solution as a result of COVID-19. Wendy, thank you. Um, it's been wonderful having you on the show. I hope we can do this again uh, as you continue to do research in this area and uh, become more informed so that we can inform our listeners as to uh, what the Women's Foundation is, is up to. Sam, it's been my sincere pleasure. Thank you for having me. You bet. My guest today has been Wendy Doyle, President and CEO of the Women's Foundation. Please join us again next week for the healthcare edition of Barclays Modern Marketeers.